Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar. Today's guest is Sherilyn Kenyon, best-selling U.S. writer of the Dark Hunter series. Sherilyn has published over 80 novels. Under her own name and also under the pseudonym Kinley McGregor, she writes historical fiction with paranormal elements. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing, all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate ebooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum, create beautiful books. One of the things that I really want to talk to you about today is the fact that you didn't have the most auspicious start, really came up out from poverty to achieve everything that you have done. And I would love to hear more about that and tell my listeners about that struggle and that journey. My dad was a sergeant in the Army, and and my mother put herself actually through school very later on. My siblings are 10 and 16 years older than me, and I have a sister with cerebral palsy, so everything that my parents made kind of went to my oldest sister, her medication, everything. Once my baby came along, he was in ICU for the first few weeks of his life. It set us back. I think it's important for writers especially, but also all creatives, to hear these kind of stories because I'm certain that there were moments in your life where you felt hopelessness and helplessness. No, still do. (laughs) That doesn't go away. I always looked at it, you know, when my mother was 16, she had my oldest sister with cerebral palsy. Given that, you know, we weren't really allowed to complain to my parents because my kids have autism, but they're mobile. They mm-hmm. can speak, very fortunate. So I've always focused on what I have. To me, as long as I've got my kids and they're healthy and they're happy, I can deal with anything else. You know, my mother bred that into us. I love that mentality. I think it says a lot. I love what you're saying about motherhood. I'd like to talk about that a little bit more when it comes to writing. Most of my listeners are indeed aspiring writers, and I'm confident that there are plenty of mothers and fathers out there and also, I'm sure, single parents that often feel like it's so difficult to find the time and make that time. We do have to remember that our children are the lights of our lives and the most important thing in our lives. So can you talk about finding that balance between your need for a creative outlet or even you having to hit a deadline for business reasons versus that care and that need that you have for your child and your family? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was published before my kids were born. I didn't have to really make time because the work was always there. But unfortunately, the writing did not take off immediately. I wasn't JK Rowling where I wrote one book and suddenly it 
the big overnight success. You know, I ended up having to work two, three, sometimes four jobs while on deadlines. So the deadlines were nothing new. I mean, I, I had deadlines since I was a teenager, especially with my writing. I was a latchkey kid. And for people who don't know what that is, I mean, my parents couldn't afford a babysitter. So we got locked in the house while they were at work. So when I had my kids, I didn't want them to know that feeling of isolation or I didn't want them being raised in after school care and all that fun stuff because I had horror stories from all my friends. And the one time I went into one when I was real small, it was ugly. I'm not a very big person. And I always seem to find that one person who thinks they can steamroll right past me. And unfortunately, I'm a chihuahua who thinks it's a Great Dane. <laughs> so I'll set my ground. You know? And it's not a good idea, especially on the playground. My oldest was born, like I said, prematurely. So I brought home like a three-pound tiny little thing that would fit in the palm of my hand. But to me, the kids were always going to come first, no matter what. And in terms of the writing, it was always flexible. So I would wait till they were asleep. Sometimes I would sit there with them, you know, on my chest, one of those little snugglies, or sometimes when I didn't have a snuggly or I couldn't afford one, I'd have them wrapped, you know, in a blanket tied to me. If they ever needed anything, and even now, I mean, they're grown men, but if they need ramen at 2 a.m., they know they can come down here and go, mine, it's like, okay, I'll go make your ramen for you. When I did have to work outside the home, that was when it became tricky, and I'd have to do things like I worked for Ingram Entertainment, and I was very fortunate. My boss would let me go in at like 3, 4 a.m. So I could work while they were at school, and then I'd be home when they got off. And I'd pick them up, bring them home, make them a snack, and then I'd sit with either a laptop or, you know, pictures of my house shows that my computer was in a corner of, I had one in the corner of the kitchen, one in the corner of the bedroom, and one downstairs where they were. So wherever the kids were playing, I could follow them room to room with my disc and insert it in a new computer and start working while I watched them. That's wonderful. I like that idea. So when you were in this situation as a child, when you were a latchkey kid, as you were saying, did you always know that you wanted to write? Was that always a goal for you? Oh, yeah. I was five years old. I told my mom, I'm going to be a New York Times bestselling writer. And my mother was putting on her makeup. She's doing the mascara. And she stopped and looked at me and said, honey, do you even know what that is? <laughs> no, but it's on all the books you read. So I think it might be a pretty good thing to want to be since I want to be a writer, right? My mother just kind of rolled her eyes like, oh, my God. My Brownie manual has, when I grow up, I want to be a writer and a mother. And I did it in that order. So That's amazing. It, speaking of doing it in that order, your first book came out while you were still in college, which is very impressive. I wrote a book while I was in college, but it certainly didn't get published, and it didn't deserve to be published. But can you talk a little bit? I'm not saying I did either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've apologized so many years for that. It's like, I thought it was great. I did, I did, but I was 18 and 24. Please forgive me. I, I totally understand. I remember... When I was writing in college, um, just pecking away at my laptop and, well, it wasn't even a laptop, it was a desktop, thinking that I was writing a Pulitzer Prize winning novel and then, of course, going right? back and <laughs> reading it later and just being like, oh, this is actually just dreck. Like, this is trash. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 I've got quite a few of those. But then I have others that I read. I'm like, that's salvageable. <laughs> I want you to talk a little bit about that experience in college because I remember, and I, honestly, let's let, let's be truthful. I feel like it is something that most of us still feel, or perhaps even uh, as an adult, struggle with that idea that if I get published, everything will be okay. If I get published, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So, I mean, was that your perspective as a college student? Just talk about learning that lesson that it's quite simply not true. I never had that perspective of it. I probably, be, I got published for the first time when I was 14 and my life really didn't change. While I'd get a couple of hundred dollars here and there off my writing, really by and large what I got paid in were just copies. I'm not sure if they still have publications that pay you like that. I was just happy. It's like, I've got a byline. Where was I? Grade school when I started selling my own. My dad had one of those old, um, oh God, what do you call them? Ditto machine. So my dad had one of those. So I would roll mine off and I would sell them to my friends for like a nickel. I was so happy to have anybody come up to me and go, do you have the next installment? What's going to happen to these characters next? And really that was all I ever concerned myself with. It wasn't, this is somehow going to solve all problems. It was just, look, people like my characters in the school. Definitely. So when did that change? When did you hit a point where you were like, I think I would like to try traditional publishing? That ended as soon as I made my first sale at 14. I mean, I, I saved up my babysitting money when I was 12 to get a, a subscription to Writer's Digest magazine. But to me, it wasn't about making money. It was more, more people will read my characters and like them. And now you've made this transition to where you've had more than 80 novels on the New York Times bestseller list. So you were right. You told your mom you were going to do it and you did it. Were you ever just set back by your own success? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I don't look back on that journey unless they make me to because it was really painful. Every time every, a book comes out, I'm giddy as a schoolgirl to this day. I mean, in the back of my mind's the old saying, neither success nor failure is ever permanent. That monster stalks me everywhere I go. Again, I know many aspiring writers, and I was one, I was one too, who really felt that if I hit that goal, if I got published, that everything would be okay. And obviously that, that isn't true. I have uh, eight books out and uh, contracted for two more. Every day, every day is still a struggle. And I can't imagine having 10 times that out. Can you talk a little bit about retaining that drive and the energy and the creative spark when you are so prolific? Um, it's always the characters. Things will happen in life. Like, you know, most people know I'm going through a divorce right now. So it for me right now, it's really hard just because my attention's being drawn to everything but the writing. For the first time in my life, I really can't write when I want to be. And that that's the most frustrating thing for me. Y'all have made it impossible for me to work, but you want to live off my work. And I don't understand this concept that people, I mean, you know how hard it is and how time consuming it is. Mm -hmm. And the man was here for 27 years. Uh, although I, in 27 years, I never could convince the ex that magic fairies don't walk in and write the books at night while I, you know, the two hours while I sleep. Nope. You know, really, I'm not goofing off the 22 hours I'm sitting in my chair working. I really am working. But in terms of, of finding the drive, I mean, it's the characters. It's always the characters. There's so many, you know, I, I write because I want to find out where it goes. I'm not a plotter. I'm a pantser. Mm. So I get these amazing people in my head and they start talking. It's like, what's your story? I got to know. And so that drive has never really gone away. But, you know, unfortunately, life will occasionally grind us to a halt. And that's when it gets frustrating. Definitely. I'm also a pantser. And I feel that amount of anxiety is alleviated once I start writing because I don't have a plot. I don't have a plan. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust these characters to tell me right. their story. And I just feel like they're kind of guiding everything and they're bright enough and real enough in my head that I believe that the story is there and it will unfold. Is your process similar? 
both of my sons are actually writers. Mom, am I doing it right? I don't know. And it's like, just sit in the chair and do it. Mm-hmm. You spend so much of your day agonizing over the perfect structure of your sentence. Kid, just get in there and let them go. It may be written in blood, but it's not carved in stone. You yeah. can always rewrite. My older son finally took him a long time, too, because he was angsty about it. And he finally got, oh, yeah, I can rewrite. Yeah, I get it now. It's like, well, it only took 24 years, but okay. <laughs> it's true. Rewriting is writing. That is where I believe the real work comes in because I feel like a first draft is very much just me solidifying and moving an idea and a concept onto the page. So it's a physical object or at least a right. Word document that I can yeah. manipulate then in order to draw the story out. I think it's interesting you mentioned your son said, your son asked you, am I doing it right? And I don't think there's any one right way to write a novel. I'm sure we all have um, different approaches, even though it sounds like you and I are similar. I'm sure we still do things differently. Over the course of writing all of these many, many, many novels, has your process changed at all? Have you tweaked it? Uh, mine hasn't, but, you know, I've, I've been in the business now for almost 40 years. My God, yes, it really is that long. Thousands of writers, have, well, tens of thousands of writers I've met over the decades. Yeah, everybody has their own process. And, you know, one of the things that I tell when I teach workshops, if you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, congratulations, you're a writer. Celebrate, because you've got to where a lot of writers don't. Yeah, don't ever let anybody tell you how to write your book. I mean, that's, writing advice is like a buffet. You go in, you look around, you go, oh, I like that, I like that, I like that. But if you don't like it, leave it behind because you don't need it. What works for you works for you. That's right. And I personally, when I have fellow writers that are friends that are very serious plotters and planners, and when I tell them about my process, they just break out in hives. They think it's crazy. Oh, yeah. They're horrified. Yeah. They're like, oh, my God, how can you get to the end of the book? You don't know. (gasps) Yes, exactly. (laughs) They think I'm crazy. It's funny because I don't actually poke at my process a whole lot. I've been doing it for a while, and I don't want to look at it too hard because I don't want to break it by examination. Exactly. And that's, you know, my son, mom, it's like, I can't and I don't want to, like you said. I, you know, when I do workshops and stuff, I'll teach people, this is what a plotter will do. We're called pantsers because we put our butt in the chair and we go. Mm -hmm. We just go. But I can tell you all about how to plot one. And how to do character stuff, but I can tell you the mechanics of it, but I can't tell you what I do when I sit in my chair because I don't know. I just daydream and type. I'm so glad you say that because I am similar. I just daydream and type. I love that. Um, I feel Mm -hmm. often that I'm not even really writing something. I feel like I'm just kind of funneling or channeling something. Exactly. Yeah, like I'm a medium. So the spirits are out there and they're whispering to me and they're telling it to me. All I'm doing is the conduit for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel I feel exactly the same way. It's it's interesting to know that someone else has that experience. So you were oh, saying about it. your characters and how your characters are what draw you in and bring you back and keep you moving forward and keep that flame of interest alight. When you are as famous as you are, when you are as prolific as you are, and when you are multi-published the way you are, your characters are no longer yours alone. They have become the property of the public. So do you ever experience any type of push or pull with that concept when people have strong, either positive or negative reactions to your books? 
Is it always oh, yeah. just, hooray, you care? Or do you ever just have this, you know, this used to be just mine? I guess maybe because I'm from a really big family and we had to share everything. So I don't feel like they were ever just mine. But, and, you know, the characters have a life of their own. It's like, get in that. I told you. What are you? Stop. Just stop. <laughs> One of the things I try to do, especially with descriptions, is I write the characters so that anybody can relate to them. Criticisms I have taken is that they're they're like ambiguous when it comes to I don't describe them usually more than once maybe twice and I do that intentionally because I want any reader anywhere focus on their emotions because at the end of the day we're all human mm -hmm. and so I want whoever the reader is to feel such a connection with that character they can slide right into their skin whoever they are agreed as a reader when I am reading something I will put people that I know especially when I was younger put people that I know in certain character skins and if there was too much physical description of the character, then it might not actually knock me out of the story because I was picturing my friend or my enemy or whatever. And then they gave me too much info and it took away my mental picture. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, I focus on, on what, what the meat of the character is and, and what matters to that character and, you know, their reaction to things more than I weigh this or I weigh that or I'm this tall. Unless it's something where I'm doing it to make a point, like in the case of Ash, he's 9,000 feet tall and it's problematic for him. When you're unnaturally tall, you're unnaturally short, that, that does become an issue. Or in the case of Breedy, Breedy's not the biggest heroine I've ever written. She's just the one who had the biggest problem with her weight. Mm. So, you know, unless it's something like that that I'm writing, you really aren't aware of their, their physical descriptions or limitations or not limitations. So speaking then about fans identifying so closely with your characters, do you receive a lot of um, emails, tweets, DMs, people reaching out to tell you what the books have meant to them or a character has meant to them? Oh, God love them. Yes. Yes, I have. And I love it. It's all about that connection is what I got into this to do. It's to make people care about my people. Although, you know, some of them you're allowed to hate Apollo. Apollo, you can hate. <laughs> well, that's what I had an event last night, and there was a girl there who told me, she said, I'm really mad at you about the ending of one of my books. And I said, that's awesome. I'm really glad that you're mad at me because I made you care deeply mm -hmm. about something that never happened to a person that doesn't exist. It's a huge compliment. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So tell project. us a little bit about Hex Life. Oh, that's a tiny little short story I wrote with my son. There are a lot of short stories in there from other writers. That was fun because I got it was uh, an idea that my son had. And he actually wrote the first draft on it. And he's like, I don't know how to finish it. Mom, can you help? And so I got in there. I'm like, okay, I got to fix your grammar. And then I fixed a couple other things. <laughs> and he's like, okay, fine. It's our story now, Ma. We had a lot of fun with it. And I'm like, well, can I put a Hell Chaser character in? And he went, sure, go ahead. Just take it over. Tell us then about At Death's Door. Uh, At Death's Door is the, uh, also a Hell Chaser, um, Dark Hunter books. No spoilers because it just came out. Oh, my God. I let one drop real bad at Dragon. And I knew I'd done it. The minute I said it and everybody got real quiet and went, y'all didn't know that, did you? No, we didn't. I'm like, oh, God, no, I didn't. Yeah, I did. Oh, It's about Belinda who was turned into a voodoo doll, a living voodoo doll. Really get to go into the Caribbean, West Indies folklore, which I've been wanting to do in the past two books, but was trying to hold back so that I could really delve deep into it with the third book. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, it, it looks at the loi, um, that here is one of them. Uh, he's actually a psychopomp, so it, it's 
it's really different and to me it was very cool to write and tell me a little bit about some of the research that you did on that uh, the culture and the the magical systems and everything involved there um, mother's best friend was a Gullah woman. There's some hoodoo involved. My Aunt Berta would do a lot of hoodoo, root work and stuff like that, which not necessarily all of them do, but, but Berta was real big on the root work. Grew up around it. And so, you know, as a little kid, it's like, one day I'm going to write about these. And she'd always make me little poppet dolls for different gifts and different things. And I've got, a, they're all over my house. That's what actually got me first interested in all the different kinds of poppets that were made because they're not all African or um, West Indian. They're also a lot were made in Europe, which most people don't realize that were done. Um, so it's just kind of been a lifelong interest of mine. With so many books out there, so many series running, and you were saying that you actually let something slip before when you were on a panel. Do you ever hit a point where someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer because you can't remember <laughs> what you wrote? Not would, not yet. <laughs> but I have had people ask me things where they were mistaken and they'll argue with me. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, last question, what are you working on now? What do we have to look forward to here? Queen of All Shadows, I don't have a date for it yet. I hope it's going to be out next fall. That's the book that I actually started a billion years ago. It was supposed to come out, oh, was it after Xerix? No, um, it was the book that was supposed to come out instead of Unleash the Night. When I, I first sold Dark Hunter, I had, I don't know, 60, 70 books that were in partial states of, of completion from you know my teen years. Mm -hmm. I've been working on Dark Hunter forever. Anyway, and so his was the one I was working on when Ren said, hello, you don't want to tell his story. He's a loser. Put that manuscript aside. Come talk to me. And so I'm finally getting back to it. It's only been, gosh, what, 15 years, 16 years? <laughs> I understand. The first novel I ever wrote, I wrote in college, and 15 years later is when it, it got published and is actually my best-selling book. But I do understand returning to something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it, and it's very different too because you go back and go, I hope I'm a better writer now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Uh, I, I definitely was, there's no doubt. If I weren't, then something had gone horribly wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, but in the back of your mind, you're like, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm fooling myself, I don't know. <laughs> so what you're saying favorite. is that imposter syndrome never stops? No, never, never, never. That's good to know. Um, and tell my listeners where they can find you online. I am at mysherilyn.com. Thank you, Mom. Let me spell that because my mother was unkind. Mm -hmm. I put her through 36 hours of labor, supposedly, and that was her curse on me. Um, it's M-Y-S-H-E-R-R-I-L-Y-N.com. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing all happen automatically with every book you create generate ebooks for kindle apple books kobo and others or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more vellum create beautiful books
Writer Writer Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.